All right, good morning, everybody. How's it going today? So glad that you guys are here on this sunny Sunday morning, and I'm glad to be back with you. I was in the old country last weekend, and uh, that was really fun to kind of swap. And uh, if you have recently joined us, you might have not known that we're not just a church. We're part of uh, Mission Bible Church, which is two locations, and Pastor Errol's our lead pastor and shepherd who casts vision and, and sets direction for our entire team. So I was really glad that he could be here. He was pumped about being here and just kind of seeing the fruit of this dream come true of launching a new campus in Morris. And so we started this series in case you just joined us, realizing that we were going to come and try to invite the neighborhood. And, and so you might be brand new or new-ish, or maybe you've been around for a long time, but we just kind of wanted to reset everybody with, here's where we're at, here's who we are. And so this series is looking at what we believe. And so even if you go onto our website, you could read our entire statement of faith. We've broken it down into categories about, you know, God or the Bible and all the different things that we believe. And uh, if, if you go online, it will show you a chunk of verses that kind of support where we see this in Scripture, different verses that uh, we see. And by the way, we never just take like a little piece of a specific verse and try to like base everything we believe off of it. You know, if there's one little weird, confusing, you know, half of a verse or something, we don't just say, oh, that, that is everything about whatever this topic is. We really make sure that uh, we believe that the Bible lines up with itself. And so we don't want to just take out of context some random little piece and say, here's what it means to all of us. We look at what is God saying from start to finish through his creation, through his word, and through Jesus, and what is taught in the early church, and we base our beliefs off that. And so uh, we just wanted to say, hey, here's what we believe. Maybe you agree. Maybe you're not sure yet. Maybe you totally disagree. And what I always want to be reminding you of is it's okay. You are invited. In fact, we want you to come no matter where you're at on that spectrum. Uh, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and to be worshipped and he was the forgiver of sins. And we hope that you also believe that and you will come to receive him as your Savior. But if you don't quite get that, if you don't quite agree with that, you are super welcome to be here. We always talk about being real with God and being real with each other and real in our world. And so you can come and you don't have to fake it. You don't have to try to fit in. You don't have to lie about it. You can just be yourself and we hope that this is an enjoyable place for you, a place to make great friends, and uh, a place to explore your faith. Because we believe that what you believe is really, really a big deal. And that uh, we've kind of said over and over, we owe it to ourselves to at least think about what we actually believe, because that will shape who we are, how we live, how we treat people, how we view ourselves, and all that. So this series is just looking through what we believe and where we see it in Scripture, but really trying to zero in on why does that matter? What difference does that make to our lives? It's not just something that is true, like it or not. It's something that is true and can actually impact our everyday life. So hopefully this has been encouraging to you or challenging to you or either helps you answer questions or helps you come up with new questions, uh, but we're all on this journey of, of following God and, and experiencing Him, and so that's what this series is for. So today, we're going to be talking about To the Rescue, and uh, specifically, we're talking about what we believe about salvation, that uh, we believe that we are people who need to be saved, and we believe we have the answer to that. We are not the answer, but we have the answer. We have the cure. We know the answer to this crazy question that we need to be saved. And I really like to use the word rescue because I think there's just something about our, our maybe it's because we've used the word saved. If you, if you grew up around church or you've been to church a handful of times, you've talked about salvation or being saved or people who are saved. And, and uh, we almost start to, it becomes so normal in our minds. We, we start to wonder if, if we can do part of it ourselves. And, and um, when we use the word rescue, uh, it has a whole different idea. I don't know if you've ever been rescued or if you've ever had the opportunity uh, 
to rescue someone else. I've been on both sides of this equation. When I was a kid, my parents were like youth group leaders at our church. And so uh, they would do events and stuff with the teenagers. And I was a little kid and I got to tag along. So like every summer we would go to the water park. And I don't remember how old I was. I was old enough to swim but apparently not very well, because I remember I was in the wave pool, and when the waves turned on, this guy named Dave that was part of our church, he had to like dive in and save me from drowning in the wave pool. And uh, I was talking about this one time recently since we moved back to the area, and someone from our church said, hey, I know Dave. I asked him about that. He said he doesn't remember. And I was like, but Dave was like superhero lifeguard guy, right? Like, I'm like, well, listen, he saved millions of people probably, but I was drowning. Of course I remember it. Like when you've been rescued, that's a big deal. You don't forget that. You're like, I was doomed and I was saved. I was rescued by someone else. And so I'm like, you know, Dave's just such an amazing hero. Of course he doesn't remember rescuing me. I was just one measly little person that he drug out of a pool, you know, like any other summer day. But, but for me, that was a big deal. I'll never forget it. I've also had the opportunity of rescuing other people. Now, um, usually it's been my own fault that they were in such trouble, but I was the savior nonetheless. When I was in college, a group of us decided to walk to Lake Michigan. It was in the middle of the night, and the waves were humongous, and we decided it would be a great idea to see how far out we could swim. And so all by ourselves in the dark, we started out. There was like four of us, and uh, apparently we got a little too far because my friend Gabe started to drown. The problem was Gabe was like a big buff workout guy. He weighed twice as much as any of us. His arms were like the size of my waist. And like he's the one guy that we didn't want to like start. So me and another friend, we each grab one of his like trunk size arms and we start trying to swim him back to shore with these crazy waves crashing over our heads in the middle of the night. And, and it was literally the most scared I've ever been in my life because it, it, it was a period of struggle and we weren't sure if we were going to make it. And... Um, we did, and I just remember Gabe on his hands and knees in the sand, and eventually he got up, and we all walked back to our school, downtown Chicago. None of us said a word the whole way back, and we all, because we were so freaked out. It was such a huge deal, and now I look back, and I'm like, you know, once I saved a guy from Lake Michigan, you know, like, <laughs> but really, I talked him into going out there, even though I didn't know he wasn't a very good swimmer, okay? One time, I pulled a junior high kid out of neck-deep ice water. Now, I was the youth pastor and basically responsible for leading him to the ice that wasn't really supportive enough to begin with. So I had to tell this story to his parents and grandparents who went to our church. And I'm like, how do I spin this story? Am I like Mr. Youth Pastor led him to ice that couldn't support him? Or am I the hero that drug him out of the frozen lake? And so I kind of let him know the truth because I, you know, I figured they would find it out from him eventually once he thought out. So, um... But I, you know, I was able to like, you know, help someone out of a situation where they were doomed to part from themselves. And I've also been rescued. And I don't know if you've got stories on either side of that, but like when you've been rescued, that's, that's, you recognize that's a big deal. I was stuck on my own. I, I couldn't help my way out. So when we talk about, you know, being saved and that Jesus saves and we all must be saved, or you might have heard or even asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Even that question, the way we say it in our like American, you know, achiever minds is like, what must I do? Because surely I play a role in this. Surely there's, there's something I can do to earn it, to, to pay my way, to, to repay my debt, whatever it is that we want to, to feel like we've done. But when you use the word rescue, it implies a hero. It implies a hopeless situation, right? Like rescue just says somebody else must have intervened because you can't rescue yourself. If you can rescue yourself, then you weren't actually rescued. And so I love to use this idea of rescue when we talk about what Jesus does for people. 
because he comes to our rescue. It's this idea that we were helpless and doomed on our own, and someone else had to intervene, and there was a hero, and he is that hero. He doesn't just save us from our sins. He rescues us from eternal punishment, okay? It's a big deal. So I want to show you our church's statement of faith about rescue, about salvation, and uh, it's a long one. It's full of like big theological words. There's a lot to it. If you want to look up on our website all the verses, you can study a lot of different verses that speak to the different aspects and specific words that were chosen, and um, I just want to make sure we all see it, and then we're just going to kind of tip of the iceberg, look at what do we believe, you know, and why does it matter to our life, and so here's what we say uh, as Mission Bible Church about the idea of salvation. We believe that salvation of lost mankind is holy of God by grace, through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, by the merit of his shed blood, not on the basis of human merit or by works. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by which we receive eternal life and share in the divine nature. Repentance, which is by faith in the substitutional death of Christ is essential in it, okay? And if that's not enough, this one is extra long. We're going to put it on two slides today. On the basis of Christ's substitutionary death, which provided propitiation for our sins. Now, these are big words, big theological. I'm trying to jam a lot of thoughts into a short phrase here. Uh, But on the basis of that, God declares us righteous or justified in Christ, having been reconciled to God. All the redeemed once saved are kept by God's power, and are secure in Christ forever. The assurance of our salvation is based solely upon the promise of God's word. Okay, there's a lot there, a lot of big ideas. A lot, you'll see a ton of scripture passages. I want to show you just a couple of passages where we get the idea of Jesus coming to our rescue. If you brought a Bible, or if you got a device with a Bible on it, and you want to open up and follow along with us today, we're going to look at Romans chapter 3. Romans is in your New Testament. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. So just like we're opening the Bible together, they would have done this like 2,000 years ago from the dude who started their church, and now he's writing them letters to teach them and encourage them and things like this. And Romans is this amazing letter that he kind of builds this argument explaining what we believe, what we believe about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what it means to us. And so uh, there's a bunch of places we could look at in Scripture about who Jesus is, what he's accomplished for us, how the Holy Spirit is involved, and why we're how we're saved and what we're saved from. Um, But I want to show you what the Apostle Paul told a church back in the day. And, um, you know, in this series, we've covered what we believe about humanity. And we talked about how what we believe as human beings, as a species, that it's amazing that we're created in God's image, and that's really sweet, and that's really special, and that's actually really, that's where your value is based on. But we also have a sin nature, that we're fallen sinful, kind of helpless on our own. We're doomed. That's what we believe about humans. We also covered in this series a couple weeks ago about what we believe about Jesus. We believe that he came from heaven, lived a perfect life, that he really is the son of God, God himself. We call it God in a bod. And he came and he hung out for a while, lived a perfect life. He died an innocent death so that he could pay the price for my sin and yours. And then he rose again. And we believe that he literally pulled it off. Not only that, if, if, what we believe in scripture is he called it. He talked about it. He said what was going to happen and how it was going to happen and when it was going to happen. And then he pulled it off exactly like he said. 
And not only that, hundreds of years before that, God sent prophets that talked about all these prophecies about Jesus and his birth and his death and how it was going to go down. And then he talked about it and then he pulled it off exactly like it was all said to be. And we believe that he showed power over sin and death and he really is the only way to receive forgiveness is through believing in him. So if you take what we would believe about humans plus what we believe about Jesus, it kind of equals what we believe about salvation. I call it the salvation equation, okay? And it's really, it's like a kindergarten math question. It's admit your sin, okay? Step one is admit your sin, that we have to, if we want to be saved, in order to be rescued, you have to realize first that you need to be rescued and that we admit that we have a sin problem. And a lot of us in that room have done that. Uh, Even if you've never had a moment where you, like, talk to God about it, you would probably not argue back that you've never sinned, right? It's easy to be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, of course. You know, I, I, I have sinned. And it doesn't really matter if you've sinned this much or like this much. Uh, what's easy for us to do as Americans is be like, well, I'm not as bad as this guy sitting next to me, right? Or I'm not as bad as that lady I saw on the news last. Like we can always find someone and feel pretty good about ourselves. And, and if we were hanging out and having coffee, I'd probably be like, you're right. You're a pretty good person. You probably didn't even cheat on your taxes last year. But the bottom line is you're not perfect. And we believe that however much sin you've got, you've got a sin problem that you cannot solve. And so the first step in being saved is to even admit that you have a sin problem. Admit your sin. And then add to that accepting Jesus as your Savior. That you just say, I believe that he really is who he said he is. That he really did die and come back to life. He offers forgiveness. And when I accept that gift of forgiveness, then I'm rescued. Okay. Now what we want to do is we feel like It can't be a little simple kindergarten one plus one equals rescued kind of math question. It must be some sort of crazy trigonomic algorithm thing, right? Where there's like parentheses and and like little numbers on top of the big numbers and things that you don't, like you forgot from high school math. Like it must be more complicated than this. But what we believe about salvation, what we see in scripture is it's really this simple. Every person is doomed and sinful, but you have to admit it for yourself. You have to own up to it. Every person can be saved but they have to accept it for themselves. They have to put their faith in Jesus as their Savior. And when you do, boom, you are rescued. He has pulled you out of Lake Michigan or wherever you were led to by your bad youth pastor. And so um, that's the salvation equation. But here's the thing. You can't understand or appreciate being rescued until you've understood and appreciated the need or the peril, the danger right? Imagine if you're at a pool party and there's like a little toddler and they're kind of toddling over towards the pool and you go and you pick them up because you know they're not going to survive if they fall in and you move them and the two-year-old falls down at your feet and says, thank you so much. You saved my life. That was so kind of you. You're my hero. No. If anything, they're angry that you won't let them go in the water because they saw their big siblings in there and it looks really awesome and they want in that water, but they don't even understand the danger. They don't appreciate a fear of water yet. They don't know that you saved their life. They just want in that water, right? And and so you can't understand the rescuing until you actually understand the need. And you can't understand God's grace until you understand sin. We can't accept Jesus as our Savior until we realize that we need a Savior. And so, like, in church world, we sing about God's amazing grace. It is amazing. But you can only say that and mean it when you've understood The depth of the need that he saved us from shows how great his grace is. So we have to come to terms with our sin so that we can even appreciate how amazing his grace is. We can't receive Jesus until we've confessed our sin. 
We can't sing about amazing grace until we've understood our need. So I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says about this in Romans chapter 3. And I want to start in verse 23, a really familiar verse. If you've gone to church for a while, you might have heard this one. Maybe you memorized this one. Um, But this is powerful truth. The Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when he says all, he means every single human being besides Jesus that was ever born right? Like you and your parents and your grandparents, yes, even your sweet grandma, whoever, you know, your hero of heroes, the nicest old lady you've ever met, we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. To make his point, right before this, he says, there is no difference between Jew and Greek. And what he's doing is, back then, you were one or the other. You probably were like enemies, but like, he's making his point by showing opposite ends of a spectrum and anyone who could ever fall in between, right? It's like if he was saying black or white, rich or poor, gay or straight, anywhere, everywhere, everyone, all people have sinned. You're not better off than any other human that's ever lived. If you're a human, you're doomed on your own, you have a sin problem, and you need a savior. And so he says very clearly, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of of God. Earlier in this same passage, up in verse 20, he says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. What he's saying is, you can't do anything to save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't outweigh your good deeds to your bad deeds. You can't keep enough rules. Like, we want to feel like we could achieve this, or we must achieve this somehow. You might have grown up in a church background where they taught that if you do certain things, you can earn your salvation, Um, but that's not what we believe. We believe that we're all doomed and in need of a rescuer. We cannot rescue ourselves. And he says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, it's through the law that we become conscious of our sin. What he's saying is, this is kind of crazy. God gave us the law, whether it's the Ten Commandments or our teaching in the New Testament, not so that, you know, we would fall short because, oh, why did he make the rules so difficult? No, no, no. He gave us the law because we had already fallen short. We had already failed his glorious standard. We had already become unperfect. He wanted to help us realize how far short we've fallen. You might look at the Ten Commandments and be like, man, I've blown all ten of these last week, right? Like, I'm not even close. Or even if you got like eight out of ten, that's not even a B plus, right? Like, we all fall short of God's glorious, perfect standard. And so he gives us the law so that we can recognize our sin. One of the things that Scripture says the Holy Spirit does for us is convict of a convict us. I believe that's a sweet gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, no one wants to feel guilty or be convicted, but the idea is if you don't recognize your need for a Savior, the Holy Spirit helps us realize that. It's a gift that we even realize, oh yeah, that's true. Maybe you're sitting here for the first time today realizing, I do have a sin problem. I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. That's the Holy Spirit helping you be able to accept God's gift, okay? So he says, no one will be declared righteous. This is kind of the bad news. Now in the middle, he's got some good news. He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So he's introducing the idea that, but we can be made right with God. There's a way we can't do it on our own. You can't achieve it. You can't work it. You can't earn it. But there is a righteousness. And here's what he says. The righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And he says all. We all fall short, but we can all be rescued. And it's only through faith. This is a big deal. Because if you realize that and admit that you're sinful and you need a Savior, it's as simple as accepting that Jesus Christ is that Savior. 
and you confess your sin. You ask him to forgive you for your sins. You turn your life over to him. And when you accept him as your savior, boom, you're rescued. You're saved. You're saved once and for all, for all time. You don't have to do it again next Sunday or next year or every Easter or anything like that. It's just as good as done because he's that good. He does it for us. We can't save ourselves, but he can. And what this says, and what is really powerful is realizing that when you put your faith in Jesus, God says you are righteous. Not because you're so good, not because you earned it, not because you ever could earn it, just because his grace is that amazing. His love is that huge. And so if you're here today, and I know a lot of us would say, I'm a Christian. I have admitted my sin and accepted Jesus as my savior. This is true of you, whether you feel like it or not. Maybe you had a a, a season of life recently where you're like, I don't think I've been very righteous. I don't feel very righteous. My, my family members in my house, they, want, they wouldn't testify to my righteousness, but you can't undo what God has done for you. He says, when you put your faith in Jesus, he looks at you despite all your flaws and all your sin. He says, I declare you righteous. This is the most important thing about you. And I think it's good for us just to believe that about ourselves. Not that we earned it, not that we deserve it, but that it's true about us. Now, if you've never come to a point where you've admitted your sin and accepted Jesus as your Savior, this is not true about you. Not according to what we believe. You're still on your own. You've got to find your own way. You've you got to figure that out for yourself. We believe Jesus, as he said, is the only way to be made right with God. And we believe that when you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, he declares you righteous. So if this is you, if you've ever had a moment, whether it was recently or years ago, regardless of how you've lived in between, this is true about you. If you've ever had that moment where you put your faith in Jesus, and I want you, I want us all to say this out loud like we're excited about it because sometimes it's worth our own mouth saying it and our own ears hearing it to get it into our hearts and just declare what's true. So I put it up there as me because I want you to say this about yourself. So nice and loud on the count of three. One, two, three. God has declared me righteous. That's a big deal. You might just need to re remind yourself about that. Now, this is not an excuse to say, well, once I'm saved, I can do whatever you want. It's, it's just a reminder that Jesus has accomplished the most amazing thing. He has rescued you from eternal damnation, from, from lost, cannot make your way right with God. And when you admit your sin and you accept Jesus as your Savior, God looks at you. You know, his words are powerful. With his words, God created the entire universe. And with his words, he declares you righteous. So one more time, like you mean it, for yourself, one, two, three. God has declared me righteous. That's a huge deal. Don't ever forget that. Be encouraged by that today. If that's true of you, then hopefully you go today grateful. I've been praying that God would make that a powerful truth in our heart. And if you're not sure if that's you, you can make that decision today. As far as what we believe, what we see in Scripture, when you admit your sin and you accept Jesus as your Savior, he declares you righteous. Now, he goes back uh, to this, this uh, passage, and he says in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in the very next verse, it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And I love that back-to-back -back verses, he kind of says, oh, there's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is you're human, and all humans have sinned and fall short. They don't deserve to go to heaven, and they cannot find forgiveness on their own. But the good news is, it's not even a new sentence. He uses a comma for you English nerds. It's the same thought, okay? Verse 24, he says, you know, we've all sinned, but all are justified freely by grace. That you can't earn it. You can't do anything to make it happen. You, there, there's not a, a part that you play to, to achieve this. 
just as we are all equally doomed, we all equally have hope. Like we sang, Jesus is our living hope, and we have active, alive hope in him because of what he gives us. In, um, and so that kind of shows us, again, the salvation equation. It's as simple as admitting your sin plus accept Jesus as your Savior equals rescued, saved, declared righteous by God. What we want to do is we want to say, oh, I got to do good things, but it's not by works. That's not how you're saved. You don't earn your salvation, okay? It's not by uh, following the rules. There's nothing that, like, it's not like, well, if you keep most of the rules or enough of the rules or doing, like, we want to believe that if we're religious enough, if we try hard enough, if we mean it, you know, like, that sounds, that feels right, like we should do something, but that's not why you're saved, okay? It's not by going to church. It's not by giving to church. Now, all these things are good, None of these things are bad. And I hope that you do all of these things out of a grateful, thankful heart back to God. But this is not how you earn salvation. God doesn't save you because you're so great or because you've earned it. He just offers Jesus. All are justified freely through grace, his grace given through Jesus Christ. That's not how we earn it. In Ephesians 2, I just want to put this one verse on the screen for you. The Apostle Paul, writing to a different group, says maybe in the most clear way in all of Scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 8, he says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And even this faith is not from yourself. It is the free gift of God. And then he says in verse 9, Not by works so that no one can boast. He goes out of his way to be like, just so you know, you didn't deserve it. God didn't save you because you were better than the next guy. God doesn't save us because someday we'll do amazing things. It has nothing to do with it. He just offers Jesus Christ as forgiveness for anyone who believes. It's free. It's a gift of God. He says, so you can't brag about it. You didn't earn it. It's not by works so that no man can boast. You can't add to it. There's no, it's not like Jesus plus whatever I can do gets me to heaven. Just Jesus gets us to heaven. The only thing you can do is accept it. It's like God has offered you this gift, this undeserved gift. He says, it's a gift of God, and it's totally undeserved. Do you ever get a present for no reason? You kind of feel bad, right? Like if, if someone gives you a thank you present, you're like, oh, you shouldn't have, but I did help you out, you know? <laughs> you know? But when someone gives you an undeserved gift, you're like, you kind of feel like, oh, before you even open it, you're like, oh, you shouldn't, I feel terrible. Like at least at Christmas, you give me one and I give you one. So we kind of go home feeling good about ourselves. But for me, it's like birthday presents. You give me a birthday present. I'm like, what? I didn't do anything. I just lived another year, right? Like if anything, give the gift to my parents. They did all the work to begin with. So like, I don't, this is undeserved. And then as, as kids, we just rip presents open and we're like, this is awesome. And you say thank you and you really mean it, but you don't feel guilty. You're just so glad that somebody gave you a gift. But as adults, we have to like feel self-conscious, right? And feel bad that you gave me something and it, I don't deserve this. And you, you spent money. And I know now that I'm an adult, you got to work to make that money. And you gave some of it to me. And like, and then if, if you're like me, you start to feel self-conscious in front of people. And you're like, now I've got to smile and be appropriately surprised or grateful or like and you feel this pressure have you felt that like opening a gift and it's like like get sometimes as an adult getting a gift is so difficult and you overthink it in your head and the other person's like I just thought of you and wanted to do that for you I thought you could use that I thought you'd enjoy that I just gave you an undeserved gift this is an undeserved gift we didn't earn it we didn't deserve it it's not a repayment it's not a pay it forward kind of a thing like now you owe me right that's not what it's like it's just God's grace it's a free gift and all you can do is accept it Jesus put himself out there on the cross, and he paid the price for your sin. And he says, now it's up to you. You can admit your sin and accept this gift, or you can stay going at it on your own. But I've already wrapped the gift. All you've got to do is accept it. So that is the salvation equation. Real quickly, 
uh, I want to talk about what I call the salvation paradox, okay? If you read through scripture, you'll see the idea of salvation meaning a couple of different things. Now, this is kind of getting deep, but stick with me. Salvation, what we believe, is already, but not yet. It's a paradox. So as you read through Scripture, you'll see, just like we read, that you are saved, you are secure, no one can snatch that away from you, or, you know, like, you can't lose that because Jesus says no one will take anybody out of my hands, right? And so, like, you are as good as saved. If you die right now or 100 years from now, if you put your faith in Jesus, you, you, your ticket to heaven is punched. You receive eternal life. It's amazing. It's already done for you. Done deal. Can't change it. But then there's these other ideas of salvation and references to this idea of a process where we become more like Jesus. And, and, and then there's a third part. So the first part is what we call justification. It's like if you're in court and the judge says you are not guilty. Like that verdict is declared. It is true. That's where you stand. You walk out a free man, right? And that's how you stand already saved, declared by God, righteous. And that cannot change. But then as long as he has you on this earth, he has a plan to work in your life. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to stretch you and grow you. He has plans to use you. And so we have this other word uh, after justification. We say sanctification. It's this process by which we become more like Jesus, that God is, is growing us. And, and sometimes we refer to that as this idea of continually growing in our salvation. Now, if that's confusing, we're going to talk about sanctification next week. We're going to talk about what we believe about after we're saved, this relationship that we have. It's not like Jesus says, okay, you're saved, great, I'll see you in heaven. No, he's got plans to work in your life to reveal himself to you and to use you while you're here. And that's part of our salvation. And then there's a third part that we call glorification. And this is whenever God calls you home, you will receive a new body and be with him in a perfect place, heaven. And you'll be totally free from sin and free from the effects of sin. And I love that idea of, you know, all the different effects of sin, right? When, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, he's like, by the way, now it's going to hurt when you have babies. You're going to fight with your husband. You've got weeds in your garden. You've got to get a job. Like all these things that are the effects of sin. You, will, you, will, you won't have any aches or pains. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more regret. There's no more weeds in your garden because we'll be free from sin and free from the effects of sin with a perfect king in heaven forever, glorified. So we are already saved, justified, and you stand now before God declared righteous because of Jesus. In the meantime, he wants to keep working in our lives, sanctifying us, and someday we will be glorified. That's kind of the already but not yet paradox of what we believe about salvation. Now, I want to wrap up with what I call the salvation obligation, okay? And now we hear the word obligation and we think of it as like a real negative thing, right? Because you hang out with some people because you like them and you hang out with some people because you're obligated to, right? Like you go to some places because you can't wait and you go to some places because you're obligated. And like in our American, you know, idea of obligation is, but the Apostle Paul, if you flip backwards just a page in Romans chapter one, he talks about this idea of obligation like it's an opportunity. And he actually uses the word obligation when he's talking about following Jesus and being saved. And I love what he says in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 14. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. So again, he's saying to all kinds of people, any kind of group of people, I don't pick and choose who God is you know, calling me to. I love all people. I feel, he uses this word obligation, like I have a sense of duty. I, I'm obligated to all people, Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then this is a great verse, Romans 1, 16. Uh, if you're looking for a great verse to memorize, if you don't know this one, 
says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He's like, this is why I can't stop talking about it, because it's the greatest news on the planet. How could I keep it to myself? Anyone, no matter what they look like, where they live, or what they've done, what kind of group they belong to, when they believe that Jesus is their Savior and they've admitted their sin to get there, they're saved. It is salvation for anyone who believes. So I'm not, just, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. He says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. What he's saying is it starts with faith, it ends with faith. You can't earn it. There's nothing that you did to achieve it. You just accept it. You put your faith in Jesus. Just as, is, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. First, we need to recognize this for ourselves, that Jesus is the only way to receive eternal life. And uh, if you've already done that, then we can just be super grateful. Like Reese said earlier, like sometimes if, if we go to church a lot and we've been a Christian for very long, like it's not that we become ungrateful, we just kind of don't think about it as often. So my prayer that today, we can just take a moment and pause and say thank you to God for sending Jesus, for saving us, recognizing the great need that we had so that we can appreciate the amazing love that he's given. And uh, if you've never made that decision, then what I would challenge you to think about is, do you believe that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? And if you believe that Jesus is the answer, he is the Savior, if you believe what we believe about Jesus, then you put your faith in him, you confess your sin, you ask him to forgive you for your sins, and you are as good as rescued because you can't fix it, you can't solve it, you can't rescue yourself, you can just accept that truth for yourself. And it's as simple as believing that in your heart and talking to God about it. So, if you're saved, I want you to be grateful. I want you to talk to God about that. If you haven't made that decision, I want you to think about that. You can make that decision today. Uh, you can make it tomorrow or next week, but why wait? If you're convinced, then have that conversation with God. But when Paul says he's obligated, it's kind of like when you go to some store or uh, you find a great deal online and you start calling people, you know, and like, you better get down here and buy one because I've never seen them this cheap before, right? Or you should get over here. You know, here's the link. I'll text it to you. You should stock up because you're going to use them anyways. You might as well save a bunch of money. Like, when you find, when you get a buy that's so good, you feel obligated to tell other people, right? Because you're like, how could I save all this money and have this amazing deal when they're on the shelf for other people to grab or the website's still live? And so you feel like I should tell whoever it is about whatever the deal is, right? When you stumble onto a great new company and you just think they're better, their product is better, you know, you subscribe to their channel, you like them online, you share it with your people because you're like, everybody should get one of these amazing cups or whatever the product is that you're sold out to. It's that same idea that Paul says, I'm obligated by the faith that I have, the free gift, if it's free for me, it's free for everybody. And how dare I keep that to myself? I am obligated to anyone and everyone because all have fallen short of God's glory. All are sinful, but all have hope through Jesus alone. So how dare I keep this good news to ourselves? That's the salvation obligation. So what I want to do today is I want to end by just giving you a moment to, to bow your head, and I, I want to just challenge you to talk to God. If you're saved, if you've been rescued, I hope that right now you can just say thank you. You can appreciate your need so you can appreciate his salvation. If you've never made that decision, I want you to consider that. Maybe talk to God about that. If you're ready to make that decision, right where you're at, you can tell God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that you're the Savior. Please forgive me for my sins. I want to give my life to you, and you will be rescued. Let's just take a moment to pray.
Last thing I want to pray for, and I want to lead you and give you one more moment to pray, is if you're a believer in Jesus, then who are you praying for that is not yet a believer in Jesus? And maybe you got a name, you got a family in your neighborhood, a person at work, whoever it is, someone that you've been praying for. But if not, I want you to ask God, give me a name. Give me an assignment. Like we should live our lives in front of people and invite them to know Jesus and talk about it. But we should be praying for people who don't yet know God. And the prayer is simple. It's, uh, you know, Holy Spirit, help them realize their need for a Savior. Um, Make this faith true in their heart. And then you could pray, God, would you use me? God, I want you to use me. I want to be the person that helps them cross the line of faith. So right now where you're at, uh, either ask God for a name or pray for the name he's given you and ask the Holy Spirit to move in their heart and then just tell God, I want to be used by you. Would you please use me in this way? Heavenly Father, uh, this is what we believe. And we thank you for giving us uh, the law to recognize our own sin. We thank you for your Holy Spirit convicting of us of our sins so that we could come to you in the first place. I pray that right now, in each of our hearts, you would make the need for a Savior very real so that we can just say thank you. We pour out our praise because it's your breath that's in our lungs. We thank you so much for what you've done for us. And so, God, we turn our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers to those we know who don't yet know you. And I pray that we would have a sense of duty, a sense of obligation to bring the good news to them, because if it's free for us, they should get in on this. And so, God, the people that we know, we lift them up to you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help them recognize their need for you. We pray that you would move in their hearts to give them the understanding and the faith to accept you as their Savior. And, Father, would you use each of us as we leave today, as we go to work or school, uh, everywhere we go, uh, I, I, I pray that you would call on us to be your mouthpiece. I pray that we would be the people that get to introduce them to the idea of Jesus. Maybe help them understand it and even pray with them to receive faith. Because I believe you want to use each of us in that way. So I pray that you would do that. I pray that you give us an assignment, a family a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a relative. I pray that you'd put that on our hearts, that we'd be praying for them and that you would use us to reach them. We can't wait to celebrate more people finding the free gift of eternal life. We thank you for doing that in our hearts. I pray that you'd use us in that way this week and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, thanks for being here. You're totally invited to come to the DeGrasse House tonight. If you want more information, stop by the Next Steps table. We'll see you guys next week.